Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I am your host, James O'Hagan, and this week I have Daniel Clark from Maryville University out in Missouri. Daniel, thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You have been, you are, you're one of these people who have, when I say, what's a top esports program? And I say Maryville, and they go, where is that? <laughs> just for just for the audience who may not know, I mean, they may have heard of you because, I mean, you guys are usually in the top 20 when it comes to pretty much esports anything uh, that ESPN puts out. Where is Maryville located? So Maryville University is in St. Louis. Um, I'm a St. Louis native. Went to school at Maryville, graduated. I've owned a couple professional teams, won a couple world championships, and my school caught wind of that. And they asked how they could get it on campus. And then day the day I graduated is the day I got hired, and we started an esports program. And about how many years ago was that? That was in 2015. So okay. spring of 2015, it was incepted, and then we launched with the first batch of students in fall of or in the fall of 2015. Okay, so you're coming up on six years. So as far as collegiate esports programs goes, this is probably one of the oldest in the United States. We were the second behind Robert Morris. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and you know, a lot of people don't think of Missouri. They don't think of it. First of all, they don't think of Illinois and then they don't think of Missouri right. as, <laughs> as being a, the hub of esports. But, you know, we have a lot of great stuff going here in the Midwest. I mean, yeah. between Illinois Wesleyan, Robert Morris, Maryville, um, gosh, even how some of the programming is starting to pop up now at, you know, some of the tech colleges, it hasn't really gotten hold of yet in the big, I mean, the big colleges are noticing, but it's not to the level that I it's, think on Maryville campus, I could walk on there and say esports and it's noticed. Right. It's pretty strange because like, if you're to look at talent hubs around the country mm -hmm. uh, for big esports, like League of Legends, you're looking at uh, like Tri-State uh, up near Toronto and then over in BC and then down in LA. So it's like the four corners, basically. You don't really have a lot of homegrown talent kind of in the, in the center, but it seems like all the financial support is located kind of in the center of the country. So we're importing a lot of players from from the coast and, and up north uh, into these programs. But yeah, we have a, we, I think we have one of the largest, I think we have one of the largest amounts of varsity programs per capita here in, here in Missouri in the country, if you're to compare it to the other states. Now, the thing that we're kind of getting into today, because there has been you know, the pandemic kind of accelerated this, but I think that there was starting to be some of these moves in these slides. Esports at the collegiate level. Now I want to separate out the K-12 from the collegiate. Everybody wants to put scholastics together, but really we have, I, I feel we have two separate goals of what we're trying to do with K-12 versus collegiate, but let's focus in on the collegiate side. Maryville was a NACE founding member. Uh, you're no longer a member of NACE. And again, uh, what I've started to see, and this isn't just you, but I've started to see some people start to pop up into Discord. And Discord is such a great place for conversations, isn't it? I mean, it's so right. – uh, no, it's not at all. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Twitter, if you could fit more characters in to be more passive-aggressive. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> that's a great way to say it. But, but how how – okay – so you, 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 I guess you could say lit a fuse. And then all I saw was you responding to a whole bunch of different people on the esports edu discord. Let's, let's go through this because again, I don't think it's a great place to have a conversation. And again, I don't think that you're wishing any ill or no, anything on anybody, no. but let's go through this here. You're seeing a shift yeah. in the collegiate scene that is not setting well with you. Well, it's it's actually like through the entire industry. So you just saw the cover of Sports Illustrated with with FaZe Clan on it. Right. They, none of those players on the FaZe Clan cover were their esports players. They Including have like another, one LeBron James's kid. Yeah, like they yeah. they they employ esports players and the cover's about esports and then there's content creators on the cover. I think the spark for me that made me become so outspoken, like in the last couple of weeks, especially. I don't remember what program it was. I, it was either a detective show, like Chicago PD, or like a newscast. I, this was like a couple of weeks ago on a TV in a hotel room. I just remember uh, them mentioning kids playing video games, and they said, Nitro. That's my dog. Sorry. And you named said, your dog Nitro, like yeah. not not after the Discord. No. Boost. Okay. No, I adopted him. His name was Nitro. I was like, well, that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah. So, um, where was I? Okay. Yeah. You the, were in a hotel or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And they were talking about kids playing video games, but they used the words kids playing esports. Like, and there was just, they were just playing video games. So it's like, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, the definition is being stretched way too far. Like, we're getting to a point where playing video games equals esports, and that's not really the case at all. Like, mm-hmm. like you have organized sports. So what is is this organized gaming? Is that what esports actually is? Is esports really just gaming? And I feel that definition becomes blurred. The f- it becomes more blurred the further down you go from the professional ecosystem. So. Mm-hmm. That worries me because I'm an esports purist. My program is designed for students whose parents might not support their endeavors to try to go professional. We are kind of that bridge to acceptance. We offer students full rides to play on our teams. And when you're able to tell your parents, hey, I have a full ride to college. Do you support me playing this game for eight hours a day now? They say, yeah, we do. And then it becomes a much healthier kind of uh, pursuit for them. Um, I come from the days of Quake and Call of Duty 4 Pro Mod where I play a game for six months to become competent at it and I feel very accomplished and it's like riding a bike. When I get back on those games, I know I can dominate a lobby. Nowadays, mm-hmm. there's games that are Battle Royale, RNG-based, uh, hoping that, you've, that you drop somewhere that has the right guns and then you hope you get the right circle and it feels like it's moving away from purse player versus player better player comes out on top and it's becoming more of like just the social abstract definition for gaming that is just being slapped onto anything because it's a hot buzzword. And that's, that's kind of where my grievances as of recent have been. And it's good that I'm speaking to you because I want to get the, the viewpoint of someone that's K-12. I do think that this is something that brings people together. Anyone can get involved. This is one of those things where it's not like sports where you're inhibited by your physical ability barrier. You mm-hmm. can Anyone can be involved. But I feel like it still needs to be organized. And at a lot of these schools, especially at the collegiate level, it's not organized where it should at, to where it should be at. Um, there are players coming into these schools expecting to learn, and I genuinely don't think that there are coaches at most of these schools that are comp competent enough at the games to teach them anything so uh as this balloons i feel like this gets to a point where it can be out of control and it can be more branded as a activity like dodgeball on these comp on these college campuses as opposed to ending up like football where there's a lot of money being being uh handed back and forth and if there's money in something that means that there's more infrastructure and if there's more infrastructure that means there's more opportunities for more people to get involved and that's how i see it Coming from the professional space, this is going to be long-winded. I apologize. No, you're good. I've done several funding rounds. I understand the business back end of a professional team. I understand how hard the financial model is of esports. Um, I've been doing it for eight years now. I did it back in the day. I was an LCS owner where I could fund a team uh, on salary for $10,000 a month all the way up to uh, paying a player $30,000 a month recently. Uh, So... I understand the back end and it feels like a lot of people on soapboxes, especially in the, at the EDU level, don't really have a full grasp of where the industry's at. So that's why I've become so outspoken. <laughs> I don't well, know. And, and, that, and that sounds like it's coming from ego. I'm trying my hardest to make it not come from ego. It's just, uh, it's just how I feel. And I've talked to a lot of people and that just fundamentally disagree with me and they don't, they don't really, they aren't really able to kind of back up what they're saying. And they don't really understand that. Like when most of these companies go out and raise money, they're using uh, Chinese statistics and viewer statistics to raise money. And it's just so overinflated and it's bad. Like we're not in a good spot and it's, but. Well, and that's, and that's where um, I feel that we really suffer right now, especially in the, let's just, in this case, let's talk about the scholastic space. Right. The problem that we have is that we are not transparent enough. There's not reality. Um, I think a lot of these collegiate programs and high school programs for that matter, even are built on one person, one adult who's being paid a pittance or sometimes in the, in the K-12 space, not at all. Yes. As you're, as you're saying to create, to create a program that we would never ask a high school football coach to also on the side at the same time, coach basketball and coach wrestling, you know, those sports that happen around the same time, we would never ask them to do that. 
But I think the perception is that just because this is games that that we can do that. But let's let's even back up a little bit further, because I think you're getting into just how esports is defined. Now, here's what I like that I saw looking at how you you are set up at Maryville, at least on your website. And maybe you can clarify some things for me. Number one, you do have you, you spell it out very clearly. You have two entities within Maryville's esports program. You yeah. have the competitive team and you have the casual. Yes. Right. So, so how do they both coexist within your campus, I guess? So or we're actually this is something that we're like phasing in. Um, but we're actually gonna be branding the varsity program or we're taking varsity away and we're just calling mm-hmm. it Maryville Esports in the future. Okay. And we're gonna call the club Maryville Gaming. So there's going to be a distinction. We're going to remove the word varsity. I don't really like the word varsity. Uh, the way that they coexist is uh, right now we have 20 players on full ride scholarships. Um, that's for Overwatch and League of Legends. I tend to gravitate towards titles that are that are developer supported because the developers are really at the end of the day the only people that can decide the way that their IPs are used. So I kind of just follow the leader while the industry is kind of in the current state that it's in. Um, but the way the club works is if you're not quite good enough to be on that varsity team, we have. For those who are listening, the dogs are having a moment. It's the, it's the male. He's freaking out. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, but the club, um, I'm going to get him. I apologize. No, you're fine. We can take a break. We, I can edit this. So this is yeah, no problem. Yeah, I can tell you in a minute, but there are literally chunks of debris falling from the sky. Go ahead. Sorry, I was I was dictating something back. I, there's literally chunks of debris falling from the sky of my friends in Rockford. So you're still muted, by the way. Is it better now? Yep. Now I can hear you. Okay. Uh so we are actually the club program. yeah the club program so we are actually going to change maryville varsity into maryville esports uh we're changing the club into maryville gaming that's the way it's going to be branded as we sell sponsorships in the future they're going to be two separate entities so um there's more things to brand uh the way that our varsity our esports team works is we have 20 full ride students um, if you aren't quite good enough to be on that team, we have students that are part of the club that receive scholarship for volunteering mm-hmm. and they volunteer to learn skills on how to support the, the, uh, the players that are on full rides. So that can be an analysis. It can be in broadcasting. It can be in coaching. Um, it can be in substitution. So we have some club kids that might be able to fill for some scrims depending on who we're playing or who's not available because they have a big test coming up, stuff like that. But uh, one of the players that, or one of the students that I like to make an example of, his name's TJ Lamarca. Uh, He came into our school as a freshman and he was his high school's basketball manager. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a huge fan of Cloud9, huge fan of League of Legends. He walked into my office and he wanted to get involved with the team. We have a lot of students that want to get involved in the team, obviously. And so uh, I told him to come to the lab at 5 p.m. every day. We'll let him in and he can start watching scrims. And that's kind of how we start it usually. Uh, And over time, uh, as he showed his dedication, showing up every single day on time, getting involved, um, he grew into his role and he started becoming the research for other teams for our for our team so he would research their picks their their bands what the players are playing in solo queue uh digging up scrims things like that um and now he's essentially become our head analyst and he has developed a really good network in the professional side and he's going to be well on his way to a pretty flourishing career in the industry when he's done so that's kind of like the crossover that we have between the club and varsity there's plenty of ways to get involved uh whether it's on the team side the media side or getting involved with my meetings um but then we also have volunteering for our events so we have a smash weekly that gets anywhere from 80 to 130 uh players from 
the community at Maryville and the St. Louis community at large. Uh, and then we have the club teams. So we do intramural and then games that aren't supported by varsity at Maryville, uh, where like we can only put in one team in Seelol. So that's our League of Legends team. Mm. But like if our, we have a Rainbow Six team in our club or a Super Smash Brothers team, uh, we allow them to go out and represent Maryville and they receive scholarship for that as well. So there's tiers to the way that we approach it. We approach mm-hmm. it at the highest possible level, but then we support the students all the way down to the lowest possible level where it's, I want to go play Hearthstone or something with my friends at mm-hmm. 8 p.m. in Booter Commons or something like that, right? So um, there's plenty of ways to get involved. Uh, I just think that the highest level cannot be be lost in in translation over time or else it affects the bottom line of the the future of esports or at least or at least it it loses the reason why i originally became impassioned by you know what i mean well and and it's interesting you bring that up because you know i've i've seen too not so much at the scholastic because again kate well excuse me at the k-12 level and i have to keep saying this because it's it's a clear there needs to be a clear distinction between what we're doing at the K twelve level. Again, our our job is to engage kids. We're trying to keep kids in school. You're trying to attract kids to your school. You're trying to, again, put your put develop a team that puts Maryville this school that honestly, until you had an esports team, I had never heard of you. Right. <laughs> you know, you're trying to get your your uh, profile up of a very small school outside of St. Louis that has to compete against, you know, the University of Missouri and University of Illinois and, you know, even, you know, Champaign or, you know, well, I guess Champaign Urbana, but yeah. um, it, it's, but you also in this time broke off from NACE, NACE being the big uh, collegiate organization uh, for the United States uh, colleges, even though you were a founding member. So where's the, where's the, I know you have no ill will towards anybody who who still maintains that, but why the separation from NACE? Um, early on, we were pitched to the idea of NACE. Conceptually, it's a good idea. Uh, we we worked to attract other schools to NACE early on as well. And then it came time where everybody was, was to put their heads together. It was the first kind of gathering of its kind for NACE. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were going to have elected members. We had just won the college national championship for league of legends, which Mm -hmm. meant that we had a birth into the world championship over in China. We were preparing for that and we were actually flying over there. So I couldn't make it to that conference. And at that point I was told I was ineligible to be voted to any of the boards. Uh, And so. Because you couldn't be there. Yeah. Cause I couldn't be there. And so. And so for me at that point, especially at that point in collegiate esports, which was pretty early on, I was very put off by that. I think mm-hmm. that the current board, current members, while I might not agree with their with the way that they approach esports or um, I might not hold their programs in the same regard as some of my other peers, I think that they're all very impassioned people and they all do they're all doing a great job uh, pushing the space forward. Um, I just don't agree with that fundamental leadership decision early on. And I didn't want my program dictated by other people within a, within a group where I did not have a voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a lot of support from my university. I have a lot of space to innovate from with my own thoughts. I'm allowed to put them into, into reality through my program. Mm -hmm. And while people can say like, yeah, we would never do that. Or like, well, we would never limit this or we would never limit that. I don't ever want to be at any form of risk of that. So it's one of those situations where it just made more sense to kind of go the Notre Dame route, not be affiliated with anything and just be outspoken and and work with uh, like the UCIs, the Miami of Ohio's, the Utah's, the groups like that, that also have a ton of, of internal support that are able to kind of push the envelope. Um, yeah. For, for those who don't know this, there's a, there's a few college football teams because football is probably the easiest way to, to match it up. Uh, BYU, I think army still is in the university of Notre Dame. These are what are called independents. 
Um, they don't align with any conference. They basically set up their schedules as they want to. And then based off of who they play, who they beat, they, they can still be selected into a, a national championship or a bowl game or anything like that. What I, what I like what you're saying though, Dan, in that idea is, um, you know, you're, you have a, you have a vision for what you feel esports is as, as do I, again, for my K-12, I have always set up our program to always be, if we had to go it alone, if we had to just say, here's our five teams and we're just going to set up five schools and we're just going to run something internal or maybe select a few schools, kind of like what we did with the, uh, we, we did a league of legends, uh, race. We called it the race of the cup. So we did a series of invitationals back to back, uh, because of the rules, the way that they were written by, by riot for what we could do. Right. But, um, it allowed us a lot of flexibility to make our program what we wanted to again, because we are still in this space race. We're still in the early stages of this space race. There's still a lot of people who are still trying to figure it out. You know, a few years ago it was NACE, but then there was also TESPA and TESPA, you know, for, for Overwatch. And that has now gone away. Of course um, it, it's, there's still a lot of evolution that's taking place, but I think what you're concerned about, at least at the collegiate level, is that the evolution is diluting, I guess, the competition in a lot of ways. Is that correct? Is that is that the a bar, correct assumption? The bar just isn't moving on like what what minimum is kind of required to be a, 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 an e like by definition an esports program. Okay. Like I feel like an, if there was a national association that existed, it would solve this rush to market that's happening. Uh, this, well, there's a lot of that. Yeah, and I agree and with you on that one. Like, you you have to spend at least a year working on the literacy of these admins as it, as it pertains to esports. Like, if if you rush it, none of the expectations are set properly, and you end up with underpaid staff, overworked staff. You under you end up with diluted programs that look like uh, attracting students because we have a lab with computers in it that's labeled for gaming. It's just, it's not. It's not a healthy ecosystem. I have four full-time employees, and for a lot of programs, that seems crazy. I work with my athletic director. I work with my athletic program, but I'm, I technically d- directly respond to the CFO and the president. Like mm-hmm. I, I, The way that we look at esports at Maryville, we don't look at it as a sport. At a lot of these programs, I mean, at a lot of these programs and in a lot of these schools, like this is something within athletics. This is just another sport to them. If you go to their websites, they have hockey, football, tennis, basketball, esports. That's not what esports is. You have to look at esports as being parallel to athletics. It's it's like another athletic department for another form of competition. When you mm. have an esports director, it's like parallel to the athletic director. The athletic director can still be their superior, but it has to be treated as a parallel entity. When you and then as you flesh it out, if you go down when you go down the flowchart, each of these titles, each of these games, it's its own esports, its own sport. It requires its mm-hmm. own infrastructure that that is specific to that to that title. Like if if you're a hockey school, yeah, you have weight training, but the weight training might not, might not be as 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 uh, as strong as as like a football team. And you're and mm-hmm. you're working on explosiveness with the lower body. It's the same thing with es- with esports. If if you have a League of Legends coach, the skills that the League of Legends coach needs to teach are very different from the skills of a Counter Strike team or an Overwatch team. And so I think like on inception for a lot of these programs, that's not understood. That fundamentally is just not understood. And, mm-hmm. and when you, when you get something approved and uh, you get a budget approved and you build a lab, that's too small for the, for your club and your student body. And then you're not um, supporting these students that you're bringing in for these varsity teams properly. And then you're dealing with the turnover that exists in higher ed. So that when a new person that signs off on budget comes in and they have to be introduced to esports, it's just, it's just a mess. And, and I think that a national entity needs whatever the perfect national entity is needs to be able to hold, grab the hand of a school wanting to get involved and help them build a program that is tailored to their institution to set it up for success. Cause this is not a cookie cutter model thing. This is something where you're speaking my language. Yes. Every school has its own student demographic. It has its own administrators with their own administrative goals. 
Uh, it has its own pillars from which the university or the high school or whatever stands on. And so uh, these programs need to be custom made for each for, for each of these schools. And I don't think the leaders of a lot of these national associations understand esports at a, in a 360 degree way to be able to go to any school of any size and help them build something that they're going to get the most out of. So, uh, so if you, so let's say, let's take, let's, we can call it NACE. We can say, Hey, here's NACE. Here's some recommendations, right? Well, let's make this a, a productive uh, thing. What I'm hearing you suggest is that the role of NACE isn't just to organize these bodies together and set some kind of basic rules or whatever. But what you're saying is also to vet these programs, not just say, Hey, you paid your membership. Now you're a member, but also say you have a, you have, we're going to, we're going to help you get your program started. We're going to put you on double secret probation or whatever you want to call it, you know, giving them some kind of a trial period or something to kind of like, you know, their colleges, football programs at the NCAA do this. They'll, they'll go, they'll go through division three or division two. And then if they want to jump up to like a division one, a, they have to go through a process. It's not just, Hey, one year they get to decide that they're one, a football, they have to go through almost like a clearinghouse. Is that what you're almost getting down to is there needs to be, you're looking for that kind of level. Well, I think, I think that in a perfect world, the national entity wouldn't even be focused on providing competition to start with. It would be focused on creating just structure for programs, just, just helping programs get off the ground, helping them utilize their resources properly, helping them find the good hires, helping them just, make it so that they can walk on their own before we even start beginning to go to these publishers and saying, Hey, we signed up 300 schools. Now can we have your license? Like, I don't think, I don't think that that's productive. I think that we're skipping steps here. And so, yeah, I definitely think divisional play is also super important. Like early on in sea law, when my team plays some school out in Washington week one, we're literally picking characters that are just designed to push. We aren't even using real team compositions to end the game as fast as possible for tiebreaker later in the season. So we are ending games in like 12 minutes. That Hmm. can't be fun for these students that are a part of a club out in whatever school that are just trying to get together and have fun. They have to play against Maryville week one and maybe a couple of kids on that team. That's their first experience playing that game. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. That's discouraging any way that you slice it. I mean, and, and it's for my players, they see it as a waste of time. Like, like, like they, they feel like they could have used that day or those first few weeks productively practicing against better opponents. So either way you slice it, like the first few weeks of competition in some of these developer run competitions, like aren't productive. So they're working on that, but like the national body can vet these programs and, and can define help these publishers define like what the level is for each of these schools or some form of vetting process. I don't know, but I, that's, that was one of the other main reasons if we're going to talk about developers that, that we left. Like I have my own relationships with developers from working with the professional side. I've gone through franchising, uh, processes trying to get slots in the LCS when they were franchising and overwatch league and CDL. And I have good relationships over there and I didn't feel comfortable with someone else speaking for something that I'm inside of on my, like technically on my behalf to, to publishers. Like I don't, I mean, maybe it's my hubris, maybe it's my ego or what. I just didn't, I just didn't feel comfortable with being, being represented by other people when speaking to developers, when I have my own conversations and I have my own ideas with how things should go. And if I don't have a voice there, I just, I'm not comfortable with that. And and again, I think it's your, your hesitancy. A lot of us have the same hesitancy. Um, Again, when, whenever anybody new comes into this space, it's, you know, people want to call it gatekeeping, Yeah. but you know what, considering that now you, you don't have this problem nearly as much as we do because we deal with minors, right? But dang right. We're going to be gatekeeping a little bit. I mean, because we're working with kids. We have, if these people come to me with, with, you know, silver bullet solutions for fixing everything and telling us how wonderful esports is. The first question I'm asked is what have you done? Right. And, and if they can't tell me anything that they've done and there's, you know, they're just like, you know, we, we, we sell furniture or we've, the, the one I love hearing now is, Oh, we've written a curriculum. Cool. Not written by an educator. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, 
I don't know. So, so <laughs> I can understand, especially because of where we are, and we've seen people who have gotten burned, you know, by overpromising and underdelivering. I've seen even one of our local colleges, I will say in Southeast Wisconsin, between where I live on the border and all the way up to Green Bay. I'll just, I'm kind of giving a big uh, geographic area there, but one who made a very large, splashy announcement and couldn't even deliver on the space. They hadn't even like, you know, put funding into anything around that. Right. Uh, um, And now what we're starting to see even is the Learfields of the world, these groups that are coming in and saying, well, we're going to buy up all your, your rights to uh, broadcast your games. They're starting to get some, some really serious, I guess, media companies coming in too, that again, makes me leery and worry about just where our esports programs are going. And again, as you're saying, you know, you've got four staff, you know, again, there's these programs that have no staff or one, you know, one person doing it. My high school program, we have 12 and they're paid. I've got right. 12 pay, t- paid people. And if I did it any other way, I don't know how anybody does it with one. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Right. So I don't know how we how you get these big media conglomerates coming in, wanting to buy up rights. And unless I'm seeing all the money that's coming in, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering again, what's and the university doing with the here's money? Here's the thing, either? like, like, the average level of play just needs to generally increase in collegiate. Cause what happens if that doesn't happen, money doesn't flow through collegiate. And now all of a sudden the average user, my club kids, your students, they're seen as the revenue source for the industry. Mm-hmm. The average player becomes a revenue source play versus $90 million that they raised for their platform. Now is justified because there's, because the, the money isn't the money coming into the industry isn't being paid by sponsors. Isn't being paid by media rights. Isn't being paid by these, by these big conglomerates. It's now being paid into the industry by the players that are buying V bucks when they, when they log on to Fortnite. And so if we're not increasing the average level, people aren't going to watch. And now we don't have a problem. We don't have a product to sell. Mm-hmm. And so like at the end of the day, it might sound like, Oh, I'm big greedy elitist. I want to have a big NCAA ecosystem for my program that I'm going to be the best in blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, like I, I donated my lab to my alma mater high school. I've built high school programs here in town at public and private institutions. I work with high school kids every day uh, when I have time Mm -hmm. and I don't want to see them be the, be the, be the cost barrier at all. And in order for them to not be the cost barrier, some some somewhere else needs to be the cost barrier, and somewhere else needs to ha- needs to be the be the level that's building the infrastructure. Uh, if colleges can build infrastructure on each of their campuses, if they can afford these programs, the high schools can easily slot into that, and the cost barrier there is, is infinitely lowered. You aren't going to have these national bodies coming in and forcing teams to pay X amount, and the struggle for the dev- uh, all of these individual nonprofit groups around the country to get developer licenses becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I can, if I can tell riot games that I can host a Missouri competition, all they have to do is do the online framework and then I'll host it at my venue. That's a lot easier conversation. So what you're again, what you're seeing though right now is just that colleges, universities, even K-12 stepping into a space and not really, again, grasping, understanding, again, the words I use is rush to implementation, uh, rushing to implement these programs without really, again, as you're saying, putting the quality of people, uh, the human capital behind it, the dollars behind it to, and, and it does, again, it doesn't have to be LED anything. It's, it's, no, it, my, you, my lab is, my lab is a metal shack with office lighting in it. And I asked for that on purpose. I didn't want LED stations. You don't need that. That's all just fluff. Like I'm sitting in an office chair. You don't need, you don't need the race car seat. I, I see that you have it, but like, it's so, but this one is the one I found. That comfortable. <laughs> the rest of them were just garbage. And but, I sat in this one. You, and know, like, you know what I'm saying though? Like the industry is eating up all of these things that are esports, and it's not esports. It's like, uh, you don't have to have full rides like Maryville to compete. Maryville's the extreme. We we go into every season expecting to win the national championship. If mm. we don't win the national championship, we haven't we haven't accomplished our mission. Mm. It, it doesn't take a lot to be top thirty, top fifty in the in the country. Like if I if I'm comfortable because one of the one of the first kids that we 
that we uh, recruited, uh, he was Diamond 3 or Diamond 4 in League of Legends. And by the time he left, he was Challenger and he had gotten MVP at the National Championship. But that's because we're confident enough to develop players. We're confident. We've, we've sent two players to the LCS directly from Collegiate. It's the first time mm -hmm. it ever happened. Like, I don't think at these schools that are getting Diamond 4, Diamond 3 uh, players coming in i don't think that they're they're capable of teaching them anything like i don't see player growth happening across the country i don't see programs with teams that that have that have tangible trajectory growth in their performance and that's what's worrying to me like i i feel like and that's why the definition of esports thing like it's just like round that whole thing out that's why that's worrying to me because i don't see it getting better like um at a certain point, we're going to be at a crossroads. Either we go this way and we're football and it's big dollars coming in for media rights and all this stuff, or we understand that 501c3s can only do so much in the space and that there needs to be some sort of form of cost barrier to this and that this isn't actually philanthropy for gamers if we want to scale it. Because I don't know if you agree with, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but like these online platforms, these online Battlefy tournaments that we're running for high school stuff, kids, is, they're, they're great. They're getting kids involved in their labs at their at their schools, and they're competing online against other schools. But that, like, at its core, not many people get to experience it. The one percent of esports players get to experience it. But what esports really is is land competition, where you are sitting down on a stage and you can see your opponent next to you. Like that, that is inf that that just becomes infinitely more important to the concept of esports as you get younger, because as you go younger. Because that's where they're going to learn sportsmanship. That's where they're going. To, that's where they're going to actually have their heart beating out of their chest. That's where they're going to actually get into that competitive environment, and and learn the same values that are taught to taught to students when they're playing traditional sports. We we have instances where we do have that. Now again, the the big promise of esports is that you can do it. We compete against everybody across Wisconsin, so we don't have to For drive sure. the six six hours up to and Superior. Wisconsin's pretty spread out, right? Yeah, but yeah. what I will say is to to your point, and I'll and I'll say that this is fair to say, we do have our five high schools all practicing and playing together in the same shared space when we're not in COVID. It is a very very different experience when Park High School is playing Case High School in the same room. Yeah. You, and they're right. meeting students from other schools, all that stuff. Well, they do do that. I mean, again, because yeah. we all practice together and they all get to actually know each other's tendencies. And they all they all especially now that we have two schools in one division and three schools in another, they actually share scouting and they share, you know, those things. But it's um, I agree with you. It's just that the again, the the I think we we still do a pretty good job of because of the oversight that we give our K-12 kids, because we do have to have adults in the room, uh, at least with our state association, we do. Uh, COVID, we had to bend the rules a little bit, but there was there was a couple of things that we do as far as those the soft skills and the sportsmanship, at least. Um, and that's at the end of all of our matches, there is still a, um, a survey that's given to each of the teams, to each player on the teams to rate their opponents on right. their on their citizenship, which I think is something that, God, we miss so much of that's I think is is something that is so key to all of this is that we miss on some of those things for sure. Um, and I think that that helps with sustainability because this is the only way we're going to break some of the. And uh, I would I would I would argue that like what you have going on is very far developed compared to what's going on around the country. Yet we still run our entire state association basically on Google Sheets because. <laughs> It, it, it works. Why not? It works. It works. It yeah. works. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of great solutions out there, but dang, if you can just, you know, a hundred schools and you're still able to do it on Google sheets. Okay. The, the other thing is like the other kind of hot take that I have that I've, that I've seen a lot of people, especially in K-12 kind of disagree with me on is, is that whenever I hear someone say, well, we have these kids that don't really want to be competitive and they just want to like, have fun and, and be a part of a community, blah, 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 blah. I think that's fine in theory, but I don't know if you've been around a bunch of kids that play super smash brothers for an extended period of time, mm -hmm. uh, like the same group of kids and you see newcomers come in, they get involved and then they get their first big win against someone that's better than them. And then like a fire's ignited in them. And now all of a sudden they're studying fit frame data and they're doing everything they can to come into the next day after 
class hours to implement what they've learned on YouTube. And I feel like when just by nature, if you're not playing a single player game, if you're not playing Terraria or Minecraft or some of these other titles that are more relaxing and casual and you're in and you're in playing a game where it's you versus someone else or it's you're on a team versus someone else. I think deep down inside anybody that playing those games that's playing those games would enjoy it more if they were able to be better at it. Right. It's, and so I feel like if, if you are able to coach even a casual player that says, I don't want to be competitive to improve even on like a couple fundamental things and they see their, their play just increase drastically, they will get more, they will get more enjoyment out of it. I, that I genuinely believe that when you say that there are people that just, they don't want to be competitive. They just want to be casual. I think that it's not that they don't want to be competitive and they want to be casual. I think it's because they're afraid to put themselves out there or they don't know how to get better. Right. And, and that's the answer that they get. I, I think that's, that's the harder thing right now. And you know, we have one of our gentlemen who is one of our esports general managers, you know, you would say he doesn't know the games very well. Right. Yeah. But we call him our Ted Lasso. If though, if you haven't watched Ted Lasso on Apple TV, he is our Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, for those who don't know, basically the premise of this is Jason Sudeikis is a, an American football coach who gets hired to coach a British Premier League uh, soccer team, right. uh, knowing nothing about nothing about it. But he's an amazing motivator who gets kids. He gets people. He knows how to engage people and, and get them fired up. Um, we do have, I think that those people sometimes are just as important because again, our, our, what we need at the K-12 level is very different than, than collegiate. Again, we're trying to well, get think, kids to get, we're trying to hook them in. We're trying to make them right. feel a part of something, but you're right to the point of you're going to get only so far. And then what, when right. those kids are, are they happy being casual or where do we find? Cause I guess the big struggle we have at the, at the K-12 as well as the collegiate where do we find the talent who is going to be the coach who's going to run these programs? Well, that's, just, that's, a, that's one of the big gaps that we have right now. I've noticed in very, very few instances over the years, over the last eight years of me working with hundreds and hundreds of players, either at the professional level all the way down to like the K-12 level, in very few instances that after a player kind of has a breakthrough in their own play where they have like a, a clicking moment and something mm-hmm. and everything starts to make more sense to them they don't start to become more competitive about it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I I almost every time see – I like to use Smash because Smash is – when you play Super Smash Brothers for a long time, it literally I'm feels terrible. like – it feels like your hands in real life are leveling up. Like it feels – like, Never. No, I feel like – every time I play it. When you get – you, as you improve at that game, you literally feel like as a human and like – you're physically like leveling up like in an RPG, like my hands are so much stronger. And then you pick up the game the next day and it's like riding a bike. As soon as like any student has that kind of breakthrough moment in a game like that, and then they get a good win against someone that they thought they wouldn't have been able to touch before. I've never seen a student not just try to pursue that. I'm not saying like, I'm going to be the best in the world or I'm going to become top eight at, at a local, but they become more competitive about it in the sense that, I'm going to learn this on YouTube. And then when I play John tomorrow, I'm going to use this secret move that I learned on him. And it's going to, and it, it becomes like this kind of internal thing where then John sees it the next day and then he goes home and he learns something. And now all of a sudden that's esports. Mm-hmm. That's esports in my eyes. You're, you're studying the game. You're getting better at it. You're doing it in a structured way. I, that's, that's, that's kind of my point. And I, yeah. and I think going back to the Ted Lasso thing, I think endemically, there are very few quality coaches in esports, and this is another reason why the issue exists in college. Mm-hmm. I think that if you're going for an esports hire for a coach right now, you have you get to pick one of two things. You either get to pick someone that's able to implement structure and culture, or you get to pick someone that's high in game knowledge. There are very few people that can that possess both coaching traditional coaching qualities and game knowledge i think that the majority of college uh, the majority of esports coaches even at the professional level level are analysts with a different title and so Mm. the ted lassos of the world i think are actually more valuable than a lot of endemic uh, endemic coaches because especially 
at least at the highest level. Like when, when, when you get five challenger players into a room and you have a Ted Lasso that's able to keep their, com- their, their conversations on track and you're teaching them how to self-learn from each other, that team will reach higher heights than someone that can't implement a structure that knows a lot about the game, I think, at least from my experiences. So I don't think that's an invaluable thing. I think that's, a, I think that's an extremely valuable thing that you have there. Oh, I, I, I love them. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't trade this person for the yeah. world or anything. I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying you said that. I just think that that's cool to hear because I think that that's rare. I think, I think that another thing that our industry has is a lot of ego as opposed to like how much knowledge we what? have. We have, no. yeah, 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 endemically. And we're really afraid of non-endemic people coming in and, and, and learning the esports side of stuff and, and, and applying it to their own craft and, and attempting esports jobs. I think that we need more of that. Like I've, I've worked, I've been working with a lot of tournament hosts, like turnkey tournament admins lately. Mm. And I feel like they hire gamers first and like event experts second, where it should Mm. be the opposite way around. You should hire the event expert and then teach them the nuances of gaming. Right. I think that that's just a general rule of thumb. And I think that you can replicate that across a lot of hires in the industry. I think that, I think that seeing a lot more non-endemic people entering the space would be good as well. Well, Dan, you know, we only got a few more minutes left, but I really appreciate that you have taken the time to, again, lay out, I guess, a very, a very, what was a touchy subject for a lot of people about how you see things. Is there anything that we missed on? Is there anything that you feel like we need to hit on again? Because like I said, your focus is more on, I love that you, uh, do honor the importance of the casual club. I guess you call it the club gamer, which again, I think is really important in the space. You're worried and you're concerned about sustainability and growth going forward. And you realize that we have to, again, put the dollars and the cents behind the people, not just the led lights as, as you said, you know, we gotta, we can't, we can't just be all led lights and gamer chairs. It's gotta be people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think first. And then again, having quality representation, within the space to provide uh, not just a voice, but again, the structure and the, the um, supports for new programs and programs that want to, I guess, take it to the next level, if you will. Does that sound about right? Yeah. I mean, this is like a, this is like a eight episode kind of topic. You can't really go, you can't really cut through all of it in an hour and it's everything. It's going to be super tangential if you try to fit it into an hour. So I apologize for going on tangents, but um, yeah, I mean, I just want to let it be known that like anybody that's working at the K-12, K-12 level all the way up to the collegiate level and working with students, I heavily respect everybody putting their time in for something that we all love. And I don't think that that, that hard work can be taken away from anybody. Um, I just have very, very strong opinions about kind of the way I, I saw it developing six years ago, and mm-hmm. it hasn't quite done that. And so... I'll kind of defend my views. And if I offend anybody, I apologize, but we all care about our students at the end of the day. That's, that's why, that's why I took a step back from the professional space and I'm only working at Maryville. I re up my contract with Maryville for, for the next eight years. And, and that's because I'm very passionate about my players. I, I felt better about watching my students walk across the stage with a degree. That was a bigger moment for me than winning this ring when we won the call of duty world championship at the pro level that's and so anybody that cares about students on that level i highly respect that person well and again i think that's where we do come together at the collegiate and the k-12 at least in most programs i'm not saying all at at the collegiate level but because i know that there are some who are more they're all about the churn and they're all about what can you do for me now but again for me it's why are you going to this college? It's ultimately to get the degree because we know that the pro scene is a very short lifespan. And what are you going to do with it after? And can you use, as you said, full, full rides for 20 players. That is something that is, I think really important. It gives kids an opportunity for college who maybe we're not necessarily thinking about it before. And again, as you said, being kind of that bridge for parents as well too. So that parents can be a little more accepting of their kids. I think that's a great thing. We'll have to talk again because I do want to talk uh, more about parent engagement. How do we engage parents and about recruiting because gosh, college recruiting is just nasty. It's just I have a, a spreadsheet is, with 
600 to 1,000 names on it oh, internationally, and it's 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 maintained weekly. And, yeah, the parent stuff's if – if I'm a hockey parent, I can go to a hockey rink to watch my son play, mm-hmm. and I can just watch, and I can see whether or not my son is good at hockey. Can't really do that in esports. You just – you see that your kid's upstairs playing Fortnite, and he won't come down for dinner because he's in the game and he can't pause it. That's hard. There needs to be yeah. some form of uh, of a way to educate parents on a national level, and I think lands are the way to do that. When you can go to a place and see your kid play on stage, I, I have seen that firsthand. I've yep. seen it with a parent who just goes, "Oh my god!" Like, I the never parent becomes realized. very proud overnight. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Those those, those experiences I think are very key. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Clark, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I hope. Again, for people who maybe disagreed with you in that Discord server, I hope they'll watch or listen to this episode. And if you do have any follow-up thoughts, feedback, whatever, please feel free. Let's put it in the EDU Discord, that esports EDU Discord, and let's continue the conversation and maybe have a bigger one uh, maybe on a Thursday night with the esports EDU crowd. Who knows? I'm down. I, w- I want to learn from you guys as well. It's not just uh, – that's, like, my biggest thing. I need to hear from people that are on the ground every day at K-12, so – I understand. Well, I mean, we hear from people at the collegiate level as well because <laughs> this is the only way we're going to get to work together, right? This is the only way we're going to make it better. Right. The way we're going to support each other. So you got Dan me anytime Clark, you want me. Dan Clark, uh, yeah, Clark. Uh, sorry, now I'm looking on the screen, and now all of a sudden I'm flubbing last name. Dan Clark, uh, head director of esports at Maryville University. Thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter, at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N. And through the Academy of Esports account, at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.